Welcome back to another Macam in the Middle podcast after another Sunderland League game. This time away to Middlesbrough, a game that did finish 1-1 and a game that we'll get into what happened during it, some of the stuff that happened afterwards and of course a little bit about the transfers, especially on deadline day since we left it pretty late to get on to it. But first and foremost, we'll start with the game, Michael. And John, after the last game, said he would be relatively happy with a point in this one, which doesn't really help either team. But on the grand scheme of things, a point is probably the fair result. I'd say that's the case. I think there were some people arguing that I thought the Borough, that we were lucky to get a point. And I think if you isolate just the second half alone, then I could understand that viewpoint. But I think across the whole game, I think a draw was a, was a fair result. I think Sunderland did do enough to warrant getting a point, but no. Was the performance particularly great? No, not really. But I think John's right. I think in the context of Middlesbrough away alone, a point, because obviously we played after everybody else, didn't we? We kicked off on the Sunday. So um, a point moves us close. It's essentially as you were before, wasn't it? Where we're one point outside the playoff places. Now, OK, Hull and West Brom, we talked about this before we started recording, that they have games in hand. Hull's game in hand in two weeks' time is Southampton away. So it's not a game that I'm expecting them. I'm certainly not expecting Hull to win. But um, yeah, point, it could have been a lot worse. We're 1-0 down, um, which very quickly was from a free kick. That was never a free kick to Middlesbrough. But, you know, it, we're going overall ground and kicking a dead horse. We're talking about referees. Um, but yeah, a point is all right. It's not particularly great, but it's fine. Because I, I actually don't think Borough's got that good of squad this year. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, for them, what, it's a bigger game for them than it is for us, isn't it? It's their sort of derby game. It's their... Well, I'd imagine for them it's what the Newcastle game is for us. So to go there and get something at least does show a bit of a bit of promise. And also the big thing I take away from it is the fact that Russian's now got two goals. Just try and get him up a few goals between now and the end of the season. Yeah. And like I said, John, the point didn't really help anyone. And like Michael said, the teams will always have game in hand. And if West Brom win theirs, they go seven points above us in fifth place, which would obviously like I say be a seven point gap between us and fifth. And then the gap is even bigger between us and fourth and third, pretty much, you know, unreachable at this point of the season. So to only pick up a point, granted, it is a game that on paper you probably would accept a point. It could be quite detrimental, like I say, if West Brom win that game, because then you've got five, maybe six teams chasing what is likely to be one playoff spot. Yeah, I think well, obviously going going to the result, I think I think we had the better, the clear chances, and whether Middlesbrough were, you know, were were really good, which they were in in a, in a few spells, and you know when they're on top, they probably should have gone on to win. But um, you know, if if Bar scores and we and we come out of that with, you know, a win, I don't I don't think necessarily it would have been sort of an undeserved win. I think that the problem with us has always been, yeah, yes. I said we'll take a point and you know I I always back us every single week and to be fair we like I just said you know we, we maybe could have won the game um, you know if, if you take a point that's fine um, but now it's what you do is is how you back it up because I can't you know Ipswich are in a little bit of free fall bar in you know obviously beating us and you know we, we could argue we should have given them a much a much better game um, you know if, if took something out of that game for me um, but there you go yeah, hundred hundred percent. You know, and he, they were even beatable. And it's, you know, we're, again, we could probably go, you know, back a bit further and say, you know, it's, you know, the change in manager didn't, you know, hasn't hasn't really helped, um, in in terms of those those games. What you've got to look at now is, I think, you know, like I said, Ipswich and West Brom are not gonna, 
you know, I don't think they're going to go on an absolute run. You know, West Brom are all right. They're okay, but they're not going to be, you know, they've shown before they're not as consistent as maybe, you know, they, they should be. Um, you know, same as whole, they've still got people to bet in. And you never know with Coventry, you know, they they could beat teams, they could lose teams. It's it is up up for anybody's. But if if you're taking a point at Middlesbrough, which yeah, that's fine, it's then how you back it up. And if you go and, you know, we've got a really big sort of next ten days, we'll call it, you know, with with Plymouth on Saturday at home, you've got to back yourself at home. Um obviously there's a Huddersfield game and you know they're they're not exactly great. Um and then you're going into the the game after that, which I think is the Birmingham game. Um, you know, it's, it's how you back up that that point. You know, we, we've seen before, even in League One, we'll go and we'll get a point somewhere um, and then to the next game, lose. And then you're like, well, oh, we, we, we should have won that game. We only got a point in. You know, it's how you can back it up. Because if we do go and beat uh, Plymouth, you know, that that's four points out of, of two games. Then can you back it up again with with Huddersfield? You know, and, and it does add to that. You know, you, you can look back then and say, yeah, it was a good point. You know, if you lose a couple of games, it's going to be, well, we could have offset that a little bit with with a win at, at Middlesbrough. So that there is ways of um, of looking at it, but it's finding that real consistency. Obviously, the, the performance wasn't great the weekend. Does it fill me with confidence going into the next 10 days? And oh, again, I'm still unsure, you know, because of how, you know, the, the turnover we've had in the last six weeks. So it's, it's still one to massively watch. I don't think we're as strong as some teams above us, but then... You know, last season we saw, obviously we had, you know, maybe a few more quality players. Um, but, you know, we we still managed to get in there. So it's still massively all to play for. And it's it's who really turns it on now, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> and in terms of first half, Mike, it wasn't really too much happened. But the one notable thing that did happen was, like we've already alluded to, that Abdullah chance, which is probably the biggest chance of the game, even including goals, because it's an open goal, really. Um, there's one defender on the line, Jack Harker as well, the worker towards Bar, and it's a weird one because it's an easy chance, but it's not as easy as a chance as you'd perhaps think if you haven't played football much. Because you know the ball comes at him fairly quickly. A few people saying he could have took a touch. If he takes a touch, the defender probably closes him down quickly. He doesn't even get a shot off. He does everything right. Aside from him and the shot away from the one player that was in his way. Well, and ultimately, psychologically as well, it's the fact that it's pretty much a straight tap at goal, isn't it? But obviously the defender's on the line to intercept it. But you're right, that, that's the big one of the first half. Where And actually, I thought we could, I mean, Barr had another chance earlier in the game, which was when he gets down the byline, beats his man, skins past his man, and then he shoots at the side net. And Clark obviously had another one similar from the other flank where he should have probably scored. He'll be disappointed. But yeah, that's the the one you're referring to is the big one. That's the one that, you know, if we take the lead in the game, then all of a sudden do Borough's, like, you know, if their tails go up when you, when you take the lead, do they then, do their heads then drop if we score first? And across the first half, this is where I keep coming back to it. I think Sunderland had the better of the chances and we should have probably gone in ahead at half time. Um, yeah. And obviously it adds fuel to the debate about Barr versus Roberts, about who ends up playing. For me personally, quickly on that, I wouldn't be against and I don't think we're going to do this, but I'd like us to rest Joe for a bit and put maybe Barr in the 10 with Roberts out wide when Roberts comes back, because I think those two could form something particularly that, that's, one, that's one of the things that I've seen a few people say, and the question is, do we play it with a 10 now? I would argue probably yes, because I would imagine that's where Joe plays at the moment. If we don't play with a 10, then what do we play with? Um, do we 
do we then go narrower? In which case that means then that there's Because the way that I think, and you know, the only person that really knows this is Bale and obviously the players, but obviously when Pritchard left and, you know, we didn't sign a replacement for him, not that too many people expected us to, people thought we might move away from having that 10 role. Playing Job a little bit deep was an eight, which, you know, he's said on record before that he thinks his best position is as a box-to-box midfielder. You've got that kind of sitting in and then that allows Equa to, you know, play alongside Job kind mm. of as a two, um, which... Again, that's it. You can watch the game and you can say, yeah, he's playing as an eight, yeah, he's playing as a ten. No one really knows, apart from the people who are on the pitch and people coaching the ones on the pitch. But it's the idea of having Bar as a ten with, you know, Robert on the right isn't a bad idea. And I think that, you know, if we are playing with a ten and Job is there, then I would probably agree with that. Yeah, but it's also the fact for me that Job and as much as you guys know, I like what Speakman's done a lot, but one of the comments he said that I thought was a load of bollocks was when he said, Job doesn't need a rest. No, mate, he does. Like, I didn't think he was particularly bad at the weekend, but you can just tell that his energy levels have just dropped in recent weeks. And we can't, we can't, get, I mean, and, and it's exactly a similar situation to what happened with Dan Neal when we were in the, in the promotion season from League One, where he was flogged to death repeatedly. Alex Neal then came in, took him out of the firing line for a little bit, and Dan Neil, look at the way the play that he is now. Yeah, he maybe didn't have the best of games at the weekend, but he's a much better player now for that rest. And for me, I think Job simply needs that. And when you've got players who can facilitate giving him a rest, I just don't personally understand why we don't give him a rest. Like giving him a rest for a little bit isn't abandoning him. You know, like it's just if anything, it's protecting him and making sure he's better for it. Yeah. And obviously on Abdullah Bar as a whole, John, it's a weird one with him because like I think we've alluded this to this in another podcast that we've done before. You know, he's been booed off the pitch while he's been here this season. He's been jeered when he's been getting subbed off or jeered when he's getting subbed on. And people just, I think similar to Luke O'Neill, where no matter what he does on the pitch, they kind of have their own idea in the head as to what they want to see Abdullah Bar as, which a lot of people think is useless. But when you look at what he's done this season... Uh, I think he's got, I want to say, seven goal contributions this season. I think it's three goals, four assists. Obviously, he should have had one yesterday. But it's a he's a strange player because he has the ability. He just lacks something. And I don't really know what that something is. I, th- I think it's just maybe just a bit of experience. You know, I think if he was, you know, if he did have that extra level, I don't think he'd be here. You know, there's there's a reason that, you know, the players we have, you know, because they're all very, very good players, you know, or have certainly have the potential to be, you know, top players. Um, but obviously there's a reason they're here. They're obviously here as sort of rough diamonds. Can we sort of iron out the deficiencies, which is why they're being sort of played and, you know, sometimes overplayed, obviously touching on Bellingham and those types of players. Um, but, you know, is 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 a weird one because you compare his numbers to Patrick Roberts and you know Patrick Roberts sometimes can do no wrong and that's not me criticizing him it's it's just a fact you know he hasn't had the output that Abdullah Bar has and I think Bar maybe is one of those types of players who who is maybe an easy target of oh he's missed don't get me wrong it was a horrible miss and you know you look at his finish uh, when we played Stoke 
and it was, you know, that was probably a harder finish. And he, he slots it under the goalkeeper, sort of, you know, through a defender, no, no problem at all. And then, you know, you're looking at him like Michael said when he goes past his his defender, um, and then tries to get a shot away and just sort of hits the side net in. When we've got two players, I think, you know, open in the box, it's just, you know, we need to iron out those, um, you know, those those inconsistencies. Um, and I think you only get that by by playing. Um, you know, and that that's that's obviously the philosophy is to get them and keep them playing. Um, I'm not sure I'd I'd drop him for the next the next game. Uh, but certainly, you know, you give them the sort of 60 minutes and see, well, what can you do? Um, and then you've in fairness, you've got a player in waiting in Patrick Roberts who can come on against, you know, sort of what we'd call, you know, tired defenders. And to be fair, he should have a bit of a field day. Um, but it's it is those those rough diamonds and you know we have we've had it with plenty of players you know we have to expect mistakes and whether that's you know Equa giving away a penalty or Trey Hume you know giving away a stupid corner you know and and we concede stupid goals those those are the things unfortunately with with the model we we have to accept yeah second half Michael is where everything happened really and the first notable thing that happened in that half is Middlesbrough goal which is a good finish but like we've already said, came from a free kick, which didn't really get much attention on TV, which is a bit strange because I'm not really too bothered about the referees in the last few games. And to be honest, I'm not really too bothered about this decision in the grand scheme of things. But how it's been given as a middle before free kick in the first place is quite baffling. Daniel has the ball. Greenwood has a hold of his shirt. They're kind of 50-50 with the shirt, but Greenwood, you know, goes down pulls Daniel down, holding his shirt. Daniel doesn't even appear to do anything after that, and yet he's judged to have pulled Greenwood back. Middlesbrough get the free kick, and obviously they ultimately score from it. And of course, you can look at the decision itself, but, you know, the goal doesn't come directly from that. You still have to defend the free kick, clear the space, clear the ball, and we didn't do that, not taking much away from the finish there. The finish is well. I'll get this out of the way. The finish from Force was great. Like it was. If we if if Russian did that, then we'd obviously be talking about that for some time. And I think Borough fans will probably be doing the same. They'll be talking about how good that was. But like I said before, I think when it comes to the decision itself, yeah, you're right. Obviously, look, we still have to defend the the goal better. And I felt like for as good as Force's finish was, I wasn't happy with how much time we afforded him to angle the shot and to place it. I think we should have got down to him a bit quicker. And yes, that may be me being hypercritical, to be fair, which people say that they probably wouldn't be wrong. But, yeah, that was poor. But at the end of the day, it shouldn't have resulted from that sort of free kick. And it's one where Greenwood initiates the foul, really, by having hold of Neil's shirt, and then he pulls into the ground with him. I would love to know what the referee was thinking as to how he came to the conclusion that was a Borough free kick, because to me, it just was baffling. But saying that, look, we should have. I think it's probably not as much of a talking point because we did ultimately go out and get something from the game. But if if we'd have lost it because of that, then as poor as as, as abysmal as I thought we were second half until we scored, the fact of the matter is it, it came from a controversial decision that, in my opinion, shouldn't have been given. And if anything, should have been given the other way. Yeah, and you talk about the performance in the second half, which I'll go to you, John. For it's very different to the one that we saw against Stoke, and we said about. The stats from that game and how Sunderland played a different style of football in a way against Stoke. A lot more long passes, a lot less backwards and sideways. We seem to revert back to the oldest in, you know, for the majority of the second half against Bowen, where 
we just didn't pose any threat. We were boring to watch. We didn't you know, create anything. Everything that we did do, again, was sideways and backwards and just nothing ever really came from it. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one because, you know, you'd expect them to go in at half-time, um, you know, having played, to be fair, having played all right, and then you're sort of expecting maybe a sort of a little bit of a, a kick up the arse and a, and a G up to say, like, these aren't, you know, that great. Can we just step it up a level, the intensity? Um, you know, and, and, we, and we didn't see that. So you, you, you are wondering sometimes, like, what what's happening at, at half-time? Is he really getting through to them and... You know, you can't you can't rest on your laurels. It's, it's you know, especially away from home. Um, you know, in a game that obviously they treat as a derby, and they're sort of, you know, it, it, to be fair, it is their big game. You know, I think it's I watched a few minutes of games, and I haven't heard the crowd like that before. And you know, I think it was a sellout. I don't think they've had many of them either. I think they had a banner for us as well. You know, so to, to be fair to them, it is you know, it is their big day. Um, but the, they were hundred percent there for the taking, um, and then to come out in the second half and you know, almost give them the onus to say, well, yeah, you know, just just come and play on us. And to be fair, they, I think, I think we shaded it in the first half, and then you know there were moments in the second half where it looked like top of the table was playing the bottom of the, you know, a team in the in the bottom, you know, three of the league. It just looked chalk and cheese. And you know, I think Michael Carrick's probably got to take some criticism there that they didn't punish us. You know, because once they did score, albeit you know, through, you know, the, the free kick, the Barco and, and that type of thing, you know, it's poor defending from us. But why he hasn't, you know, really ramped it up and gone, I think they would have, you know, I think they would have absolutely done us. And it and it took, you know, I, I, I don't think Roberts did too much when um he came on barring a few runs, but I think Rusin sort of coming on and, you know, getting stuck in and, you know, putting himself about seemed to to raise our game, you know, a tiny bit. Um and and get Jack. Can't Hart forget back. the impact uh Jensen Seawalt had on the game as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, his, I'm sure his stats are, you know, one of the best in the league for, for that game. But just just on Rusin coming on, you know, I thought, you know, Burst, though, is it's hard to write a player off, but he's not our player. He doesn't really look, you know, I thought he was running through Treacle at times, pressing, didn't even see him, you know. At Greenwood, to be fair to him, all right, he's a Sunderland boy. You know, he just wanted to kick seven bells out of us. And when he came off and they put... Um, the other fella up who used to be at Sunderland is it Coburn? I think yeah. even he he came on to kick the shit out of people as well, and we didn't see none of that from Burstow. So the centre backs had sort of you know a bit of a field day against him, and then you get this sort of little Ukrainian fella who looks you know doesn't look anything you know special or intimidating, and just gets stuck in and he's smashing defenders. And I think come on, he got a fat lip you know straight away, and that gave us maybe a little bit of impetus that. You're thinking, oh, the, that needs to come from like the management, and mm. you know, do you see Michael Bill on the side, sort of absolutely giving them stick, and not really. And it's like maybe, maybe they need that. You don't really see anyone sort of, you know, proper going for for each other to g them up because you know we don't treat it as a derby. And if you don't, and they do, that's why they've always, or you know, nine times out of ten, got the better of us at times. So again, it's you know, you you're expecting a, a good performance to build on you know, the, the Stoke one, um, and then it's sort of a bit of, but because the result's sort of half positive, you know, and a striker scored, it maybe mirrors, you know, the performance a little bit, which is is frustrating. Yeah. And obviously it was recent they got the equalising goal, Michael, and don't think too many people disagree with the fact that he has looked to the best striker every time he's played, which kind of begs the question why he hasn't actually played more. 
However, one thing that he's consistently done in the games that he has played is finding space for himself. You know, again, like John said there, he'll chase every single ball down. He'll make it hard for defenders. And his goal comes from, like, say, the first thing that I mentioned there is making space for himself. Clark gets the ball, finds Rusin in, you know, so much space. And, you know, for a player who gets a goal, gets dropped, sits on the bench while he watches a midfielder play up front, watches Burstow come in and he's still sitting on the bench, confidence probably won't be the best. So for someone of that ilk to take on the shot that he did, granted, should the keeper do better? Probably, you know, it, it's a good strike, and ultimately, it's the strike that earns someone a point in the game. Well, absolutely. I mean, I've been banging this drum for weeks that I think Rusty, and he's not. It's not just that he's the best of a bad bunch, like some want to claim. I actually think he's genuinely quite good. I think he's well. From what I've seen so far, I can't really have a go at people for writing him off and then claim he's good, can I? But from what I have seen, I do really like the look of him. I think he's someone that, as you've mentioned, when even when he doesn't score, which granted hasn't been too often, but he's barely played. Uh, by comparison to, say, someone like Burstow. Um, Rustian, when he isn't scoring even, though, what he is good at doing is getting involved in the game. And, and it sounds like such a simple thing. And it sounds like, oh, well, yeah, anyone can do that. Well, as we've looked with Burstow, unfortunately, and I don't know whether it's lack of confidence, lack of belief or whatever it is, but he just doesn't get involved in the game anywhere near as much. And and if I'm going to slightly praise Beal for this, uh, or credit him, is the fact that he did make the changes when there was still plenty of time to go. Granted, I think it was just after we went 1-0 down, I thought that, I know John said he didn't feel Roberts did much when he came on, and granted he didn't, but I think when both changes were made, I thought instantaneously we looked better, and we started to add a bit more, we started to give Boris something to even think about, and that eventually led to the goal, and even if you look at Russian's goals that he scored, yeah, okay, keeper should have done a bit better, but Russian had the confidence to take that shot on in the first place, the goal against Preston, I will bet again, I'll keep mentioning this, that was the striker's goal, that was him finding space at the back post. He anticipated where Clark was going to put the ball in the box and scored a pretty decent finish for it. Rustian, for me, is one that for the rest of the season should be leading the line for us, barring any injuries. Um, I mean, it, I would have liked a strike. I know we'll get onto the transfer window in a minute, but I would have liked us to have got a striker in January. But I did also feel that if we did get one and Rustian was going to start most games, I wouldn't be too disheartened by that. The big thing for him as well is that, am I right in thinking his wife and family are over from Ukraine now? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, now we underestimate, I mean, we all know what's going on in Ukraine and we all obviously hope that the peaceful resolutions found to that at some point. But that could, that must have been on his mind when he's halfway across the world. Family could have been in grave peril, whatever it was, with a country that's in the middle of a war. And that's got to have played on his mind at some stage. But bear in mind, he's had to travel halfway across the world. So the fact his family's all now over here and safely over here by the looks of it, first of all, it's a great thing on a human level. But for him, it, it means then that he might be he might have a bigger peace of mind to be able to perform on the pitch. And I think that's testament to his performances earlier in the season when he was looking pretty good, when all of that stuff was still going on. So, yeah, long story short, hopefully Russian starts more games for the rest of the season. And the fact his family's over here will must be a big, big help to him. Yeah. Obviously, like John, Michael said there, John, Russian came on as a sub, changed the game. And, you know, once the point, the one thing that I, I hate, I'm going to say, it, about Beal is how late he seems to make changes in the game. You know, we talked about the second half and how, you know, from the minute the whistle went to to start the half, that Sunderland weren't at it at all. It took, I think, 23 minutes to make any change whatsoever. Um, and, you know, give him some credit where it's due. He made the changes and that's what's ultimately earned us the point. But make them changes earlier and it could be a different story. And even added on to that, 
Here with the, well, if you want to include Jensen Seals' maybe three-second cameo, then we've made three subs in the game. But if not, they were the only two changes we made in the game. You've got Alchishi on the bench. You've got Hemiu on the bench. You've got, obviously, Mundle on the bench, who we signed on deadline day. Where's the harm in just changing it again? You know, bring someone else on. Try and, try and go for the win. We seem reluctant to change it. And when we do change it, we want to change it as little as possible. Yeah, again, that's you know that's the frustration because um, I still feel like it was the same system. It's just maybe you know different personnel. It was Bursto not doing anything, then Rusen you know doing something. Um, you know, Bar probably fizzled out of the game, and then Roberts came on, and you know, even though I didn't think he had too much of an impact, he still went on you know a couple of runs that probably made them think, hang on, we probably need to sit back a little bit against him. Um, you know, you you want to see that that in-game flexibility. Um, I'm sure if you spoke to the coaching staff, they'll say they did change things here and there, but it's it's waiting for that. Not waiting sounds sounds, but may, maybe being a bit more proactive. You know, I, I thought Job was struggling at times. You know, can he can he not come off for Al Sheesh? You can't tell me Al Sheesh is going to be any any worse. You know, Al Sheesh's ball retention's still going to be decent. Um, you know, we weren't really using Bellingham's physicality. Um, like say Mundell, can he come on and have a bit of a run? But obviously we're not going to take off um, Jack Clark. You know he's, he's going to play every single minute. Um, and it's you know he's okay, maybe mate, you look at that and you look at Clark. You're not going to take him off, but they had to change the system a little bit. Get him on, put Clark on the right, bring Mundell on the left, and then all of a sudden you're a completely different team. You're not relying on giving the ball to Clark and him cutting in and creating something that way. You've then got Mundle on the left, who you know can do similar to what Clark's done, uh, or we can assume he can do similar to what Clark's done. He, he's right-footed; he'll cut in. He can create chances that way. He can go outside, put a ball in. But at the same time, you've got Clark on the other side, who you know he could cut in on his left foot, but he can also drive down the line, put a cross into the box, and it just gives defenders something else to think about for the last 20 minutes of a game or the last 15, last 10 minutes of a game, where we just seem to just stick with what we've been doing, which didn't work for the majority of the centre. Half. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd agree with that. You know, maybe even going you know two up front and giving them something to think about. Um, I'd I'd maybe argue have we got the defensive you know responsibilities in in Equa and obviously Neil's Neil's all right, but would you trust Equa to get back and do do the defensive work when we lose the ball? If we've got sort of you know Roberts Clark, you know not always known for their for their coming you know for you know sort of retreating. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't mind it being um, sort of broken up. And, you know, if you, I'm sure if you put that to the management, they'd say, well, Mundell's only been here, you know, a few days. And and I'm sure that would be the excuse. And that's acceptable. But then you can't then on the flip side start, you know, Yilda or, or whatever his name is. Um, you know, and, he, you know, he plays the full 90. And to be fair, he looks he looks spot on. You know, there, there'll always be an argument, I think, somewhere of of why why you can't do something. But we're just looking for maybe something... Like like you say, a bit, a bit left field, just a little bit different. Clark, I don't think it's going to get any worse on the right-hand side. And if you're putting crosses in the ball, which I think but the stats are showing that we are starting to cross the ball a lot more. If you've got two, you know, we'll call them obviously they are strikers, you know, it doesn't matter how young they are. You, you would still expect one of them to have the little bit of a knack to to get in the box and and maybe get that. But it's, you know, again, that's maybe another frustration on the on the management side and it's it's a little bit of carry on from 
Mowbray and it's sort of plan A. Well, when plan A doesn't work, we'll keep plan A, but we'll just we'll just tweak the personnel slightly, you know, instead of mixing it up a little bit. And, you know, other teams seem to have that flexibility, but not us. And it's it's a strange one. Yeah. Uh, very briefly, transfer window obviously closed. Michael, we didn't really do anything for the first thirty odd days of the window. <laughs> so really didn't do anything. We literally didn't do anything. Um, we went into the window saying that we wanted a striker and we wanted a holder midfielder. We finished the window losing a striker and losing a holder midfielder. Um, Point Mundell, who like I say was on the bench for that game against Boa, didn't play. Uh, he played forty-five or sixty minutes, whatever it was, for the under twenty-three through the night. Came out in the newspapers today that he's another player that Sunderland aren't really setting hopes on to really impact the season too much this year, which then leaves the other two signings in Sheld and uh, Callum Styles as the only two that I suppose are ready to make an impact on the first team in the eyes of the club. Which, when we picked up the January transfer window, looked at how important it could be for our chances this season and kind of to help the atmosphere of the club rise a little bit after what's been very low for the past probably month or two now it does seem like a massive missed opportunity I think in a lot of ways it does I think for me the as we said striker and defensive midfielder whole midfield was the ones that we said that we wanted and I think obviously yeah we, we loaned out him we loaned out sorry in the end and obviously Pritchard went and that's another topic of conversation but for me hold midfielder was the big one that I felt like we needed and Time will tell for me whether, because apparently Styles can play in that position. Although, if you believe what Nick Barnes apparently said, then he's viewed more as a left back. Now, if that's the case, then as much as I really do like a lot of our recruitment work and still do, I think that it is disappointing then that once again, unless Styles is that holding midfielder player, that we haven't got one. Obviously, we would know about the Kiefer Moore links. We were linked with him, and for me, I wanted him, but then I heard Ipswich were paying something like thirty grand a week towards his loan, and that's for a loan deal. Now, for me, I think that's a bit nonsensical to pay that much for a player that isn't going to be yours unless it's someone like Ahmad's level. And don't get me started on Ahmad. But um point is, in some senses, it does feel like a missed opportunity because at the end of the day, as much as I don't personally think that either of these teams will go up, you can argue that Hull and Ipswich, a lot of our fans feel like they've gone for it. And again, I mean, I, I, I would heavily argue that if both of them don't get promoted, I think we're going to be in a much better position than both of them come next season. But, yeah, I can see why people are feeling a bit flat. It doesn't feel like we've pushed the boat out maybe as much as what we could have done. Time will tell how good the business is. But, I mean, if you, I, mean I, I think I said on my own channel, as far as a rating goes for the window, the highest I could probably give it is a bang average five. I'd bump yeah. it up to a six, maybe, if Styles proves to be the midfielder. And George Honeyman. Sorry? And George Honeyman. Rating. Yeah, well... Yeah, with George Honeyman, we need to bomb it up to a seven, don't we? Constantly seven out of ten. But, yeah. I'd say five out of ten at the minute for a window. If you, I mean, I know you're not asking for a grade, but I'd say five out of ten for it. Bump it up to a six if Styles is the midfield that we need. Yeah. Well, next game is in just under a week's time on Saturday. Another home game coming up. Another game that, like any game towards the uh, latter stage of a season... You want to be winning, especially home games. Plymouth at home. We see a look at the players they have. And, you know, the threat that they will pose. Whitaker, who I think is the top scorer in the league. Maybe. Could be wrong on that. Go me a minute. Give me a minute. I'll have a look. Carry on. He's certainly up there. Um, and definitely up there in terms of goals and assists. He's been 
you know, their key player this season. I think he was briefly linked with Sunderland in the summer as well, um, which, again, talk about missed opportunities. That could be another one there. But, like I said, John, you have to win this game. There's no other way around that. You have to win it. Quickly, by the way, yeah, Morgan Whitaker's joint top goal scorer currently was Sammy Spodix at Blackburn. Yeah, so a missed opportunity there in terms of... I'm fairly sure we were linked with him in the summer. Was it, was, wasn't the fee like £1 million as well? Yeah. It wasn't a lot. And um, I think, it was, yeah, yeah. Because he joined them on a permanent this summer, didn't he? Yeah. I could have been on loan. So. But yeah, like I said, John, you've got to win this game on Saturday against Plymouth. And again, like, performance doesn't matter if you get the three points. But performance does also matter. Yeah, for me, I, I think it does. Um, you know, I th- we are expecting to see... Um, well, especially from from my own personal perspective, yeah, obviously three points first and foremost, but we are looking to back that up with, you know, good performances and, you know, he's had a lot of time on the coaching, on the uh, training pitch now to to sort of implement um, and we know, you know, if if Stoke were better at finishing, we know the Stoke, Stoke game would have turned out a little bit different, that's obviously all if buts and maybes, but, but for me, I'm definitely looking for, you know, a, a proper performance you know, really, uh, really dominating because um, you know we have to make the home, the home form. You know, like I said, the, the fortress. Um, I don't mind setting up differently away from home, and you know, being a bit narrower and, and and tucking in and sitting in and waiting for opportunities. But you know, at home, the onus is on us to to go and play our game with you know with the attacking threat we've got, and that should be enough to to beat most teams in the league at the stadium lights. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely got my eye on the. Uh, performance but yeah we'll three points first of all but yeah we need that performance we do well i said that games on a saturday we'll get a podcast out to discuss that game and then we'll look ahead to the next game which is a midweek game um one of them a few midweek games left remaining but i said we'll be back to talk about that plymouth game after it's all said and done but until then we will see you later